I am so grateful to the Lord that he gives us in the Bible, in this, this word of God that helps us understand him and who he is. I'm so grateful that he gives us very clear and vivid images. Those things that the Bible, uh, the, the, the pictures and the analogies that the Bible paints for us so that we can uh, take a heavenly meaning that otherwise we wouldn't really be able to grasp and be able to connect with it with some sort of earthly analogy, some sort of image and picture that really, really, truly helps us. And that is certainly the case with the shepherd and the sheep, what we're looking at in Psalm 23 over the next several weeks together. And I want you to turn to Psalm 23, if you would. Psalm 23 is not the psalm of death. I understand why we might choose to read it at funerals and memorial services, but, and that's perfectly appropriate, but it's not just to be associated with the death of a loved one. It is a psalm of David about life, about how we live life, what God has created for us and what he does in our lives, even as we still draw breath and walk in the earth. That's Psalm 23. And we're really just going to continue to look at verse 1. We did sort of an introduction last week, and let's read together the first verse, Psalm 23. Now you read in your Bible, I'll read in mine, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's as far as we're going to get today, folks. So if you're, if you're like one of those people that likes to go far and fast in Scripture, we're going to slow it way down and really get a sense for what this really truly means. Now last week, we, we decided, you know what? In order to really understand the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, we first need to get a clear understanding of what sheep are. So we went to the New Testament and we looked at Jesus' own words about the sheep in reference to the shepherd. And we saw the sheep are very weak, very vulnerable, very needy, very dependent. That's just naturally who they are and how they are. And in a sense, I mean, we kind of say this kiddingly, but, but kind of not. They're kind of dumb. They're not too intelligent, are they? They're not too bright. And I, I know you don't want to come to church to be called dumb. So I'm not going to do that. But I am going to say that God chooses to compare us to sheep. And there's a specific reason that he does. We have no natural defense. We have no ability to figure out purpose, meaning, goodness on our own. We, we are literally as directionless, as helpless, and as weak as the sheep. Especially when you look at things from an eternal perspective, from God's point of view. So sheep need to be taught, they need to be pursued, they need to be known, and they need to be protected. Those are the things that we looked at last week. Now that we have a sense for these vulnerable, weak, precious little sheep, by the way, they are, are also pretty cute, aren't they? I mean, you just can't help but, especially the baby ones, but you just can't help but running up and you just want to cuddle them. I mean, somebody needs to cuddle that sheep. That's just kind of the way some of us feel. And, and I wonder if God feels that way towards us, even though sometimes we're not too bright as well. God made some of you very cute. I want you to know that. Now, there are others of you that not so much. But, but for the most part, God made us adorable in his eyes. Okay? So we want to now begin to take our eyes off the sheep and seeing now, if there's one who cares for these sheep, what would he look like? And we're going to focus our attention on the magnificence, the glory the immense capacity of the shepherd. How wonderful 
and how great and awesome he is. And so we're going to take a brief look at the shepherd together. And the best way to see that, to see how big God is, is to see what the scripture has to say in reference to his creation. God in creation. So just quickly, I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1. Then we're going to see a short video clip. And then we'll continue on getting a real sense of the weight and the depth of who this sovereign God is. Colossians 1, look at in verse 15. This is how the Bible shows us how big he is. It shows us how big he is in reference to that which he's created. Verse 15 of chapter 1, Colossians. He, that's God, is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the Son of God. God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Guys, just think about and and, and listen to the words here. What all is involved in creation? You know, I mean, all that ever was created. Before it was created, the reason it's created, in whom it's created by, who it's created for, all that is in existence comes out of the person, the plan, the heart of this sovereign God, this creator. It says, this is everything that's visible that you can see and that's invisible. All the principalities and powers, all the spiritual realm, all the things at play, all the laws of science and nature, everything that is created says he is before all things, before those all existed. God did, and he was present. And then not only was he before all those things, it says, and in him all things consist. That means that everything that is, is because of him. We got to, you know, Before we look at the concept of shepherd, I really want to show you the contrast. God's nature, he isn't just personal, but he's also vast. He's also immeasurable, unimaginable. He's awesome God. And so I have a short video clip that I want to show you. Now this is a video clip, some of you might have seen it before. It's of of Louis Giglio, and he's comparing... He's trying to show us the vast nature of, of God's creation. And he's going to look at stars. Okay? You, you know, stars are those things which the Bible said God created literally by speaking. Every star that is, God created by saying, let it be. And it, it came into be. So, now, let's just see what's all involved in that. How complex is that, really? How big are we talking about when we say that God created all these stars? So, it's about 14 minutes long, so just sit back and relax. Really try to take in what he's saying. Let, let the drama carry you away and just see. Let's kind of get an idea for how big God really is. Show that clip now if you would. I'm going to begin with the bigness of God, the, the grandeur of God all over again. We're going to do it by looking at four stars. Can, can you handle four stars tonight? The first one's easy because there's just one star in our solar system, and that star is called the... Sun, thank you very much. Yes, it's our own star. It's, uh, there's an image of it for you, by the way. It's a little more fierce than we often think. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, but what I want you to see about it is how big it is. 
It's 93 million miles away, so when you're looking up in the sky, it's pretty good pace out there. By the way, light traveling 186,000 miles a second, it's only taken eight minutes to cover that 93 million mile journey to touch your skin here in Atlanta, Georgia. But what I want you to see is the size of it. It's like a million times the size of the earth, and that matters to us tonight when you hear what the psalmist said. Listen to his words. By the word of the Lord, this is Psalm 33, the heavens were made. In other words, God didn't lift a finger when he made the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. But he goes on to say, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So we're looking at something so intense that we don't want to get any closer than 93 million miles away, which is what we are right now. And then we read that God just breathes out stars. It's crazy to think about it. A million times the size of the earth. So here's a little perspective that sort of changed my life. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either, so let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you've found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put... 960,000 earths inside the sun. So if the earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15-foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside the 15-foot diameter sun. It's a massive star, and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. It's huge, and we're worshiping a star-breathing God tonight. But I want to tell you about the second star, okay? Because the second star absolutely wrecked my life. I heard about it when I was a high school student here in Atlanta. One of our youth leaders did a talk, and he mentioned this star. I didn't know how to talk to God for about two months after I heard about this star. It's called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse. You can pick your pronunciation. I'm obviously going with Betelgeuse, and Betelgeuse is incredible. Here it is in the night sky. I know it doesn't look incredibly ferocious, But it's 427 light years away. So that's 427 times 5.88 trillion miles away from us right now. Draw it in a little closer with the Hubble Space Telescope, and you can start to get a little bit of the feeling of its intensity. But this is the crazy thing about Betelgeuse. Are you ready for this? Betelgeuse is twice the size. Are you ready? You think I'm going to say twice the size of the sun? Oh, no. It's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun, Betelgeuse is. It's crazy. If the earth were a golf ball, (laughs) Beetlejuice would be the height of six Empire State Buildings on top of each other. Now, come on. Have you seen the Empire State Building? I mean, maybe what you're going to need to do is gather the family, get a golf ball, get some plane tickets, and fly up to New York. And you're going to go into Midtown. You're going to take your golf ball and put it on the sidewalk outside the Empire State Building. 
Don't worry about people thinking you're crazy. They're not even going to notice you in New York. You're going to go across the street. You're going to look up at the Empire State Building and imagine five more Empire State Buildings on top of the Empire State Building. That's Beetlejuice, and that's the earth, and somewhere you're on it. You could fit 262 trillion earths inside Beetlejuice. So if the earth were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill up the Superdome with golf balls 3,000 times. (laughs) When I heard that as a teenager, that stumped me right there. Because most of my praying had been advising God, correcting God, (laughs) suggesting things to God, drawing diagrams for God, (laughs) reviewing things with God, counseling God. The third star, let's just, can you go a little bit bigger with me? The third star is called Musifi. Here it is in the night sky. It's that gold star to the top left. We, we have the big image of it. It's 3,000 light years away, but I just want you to see it in the, in the span of all these little glittering stars so that you know that at times when you look up at night, it is not just twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. I'm telling you what you are. What you are is intense and huge and massive and ferocious is what you are. And, and this one used to be called Herschel's Garnet Star. Check it out. If the earth were a golf ball, Musifi would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. Apparently, you're going to need to go from New York to the West Coast. Go to San Francisco with your family and your golf ball. Place your golf ball at the beginning of the Golden Gate Bridge. Go across the bay into Oakland to a high place where you can see the entire Golden Gate Bridge. Another second Golden Golden Gate Bridge will be in your imagination. Span all the way back the two Golden Gate Bridges to the very beginning and find your golf ball over there. That's the earth and somewhere you're on it. One of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's so big you could fit 2.7 quadrillion earths inside this one star. Thank you so much. Where have you been all night? Now, quadrillion we have not talked about, and I need to explain this just briefly because I don't know about you, but I do not understand the national debt or any numbers bigger than about $875.28. I get that number. Go bigger than that, I don't know. But you need to understand a quadrillion, okay, because this star is crazy big. A quadrillion, uh, let's do it this way. Everybody knows a million, right? How many of you know what a million is? You can kind of get your head around a million. Everybody? All right. You know that a billion is a thousand million and a trillion is a thousand billion and a quadrillion is a thousand trillion, right? Everybody knew that? Here's the perspective. This changed my life, right? A million seconds ago, 12 days ago. Isn't that cool? See, that saves you doing that on your little calculator at home, which I dare you to try to do when you get home tonight. But a billion seconds ago, you're thinking, oh my goodness, if it's 12 days ago, I'm going all the way back to like September with you, Louie. This must be crazy, right? How about May 1975 is a billion seconds ago. You're like, whoa, that's a little bit bigger than a million. Oh yeah. A trillion seconds ago, you're like, "Uh uh-huh, I'm on the 1800s. No. Christopher Columbus? No. 29,700 BC is a trillion seconds ago. 
A quadrillion seconds ago, 30,800,000 years ago is a quadrillion seconds ago. We're talking about a really large number, and Musifi is so big, you could put 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside this one star. But it is not even the biggest star we have found. I love science, and science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this, Canis Majoris. Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh, wow. If the earth were a golf ball, (laughs) Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Thank you. You just saved your family plane fare from California to Kathmandu, Nepal. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet. And I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. That's enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in to the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. But Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. I just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the earth, that's Neptune. The earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by, little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention, Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. Our third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, W. Sifi. And Canis Majoris.
And do you know that you couldn't come up here right now with a Sharpie and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun? You couldn't even do it. I mean, when you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. And um, can you hang on that for me? And when you see this, I don't know what happens to you, but I'll tell you what happens to me. A shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad shrinking feeling. It's a good shrinking feeling. Because sin, it has a, a way of shrinking God down in our minds and puffing us up in our own estimation. But just a glance into the universe that God has made resizes everything in a heartbeat. And you realize tonight we are worshiping an unrivaled, uncontested God of all kind of might and power and glory and awe who is, there's none like him anywhere in all of creation tonight. We are not here worshiping some little teeny tiny God. We... That star-breathing God that created all that is my shepherd. And I shall not want. You see, we really have to gain a clear understanding of all that God really is. All who he is. The vast enormity of God's nature and his capability. If God can create all that literally with his breath, and, and, and you saw, you know, even the largest star that we're, we're aware of, and then all those golf balls, and then you find one little person, you, on that one golf ball in the state of Texas, 22 inches deep. That's how small we are compared to God, and much more. And yet, like a weak, tiny little sheep, God's nature is such that he chose to be our shepherd. He chose to be most focused out of all of creation to give most care to us, the sheep. Now, I want you to look at Psalm 23 with me. Let's break a few of these things down now that we really have a sense of how, how awesome and, and how privileged we are and what it really means to say that that God, Jehovah, is our shepherd. Now, the Lord is my shepherd. First of all, you've got to understand that's a declarative statement. That's a, that's a statement that says, not, he belongs to me. The Lord is my shepherd. If I say, if I say this is maybe my Bible, that's a statement of ownership, saying the Bible then belongs to me. This is my Bible. That's not what we're reading here. What we're reading here is, that's my shepherd. It's a declarative statement of identity and submission. That is to say, that is my shepherd. In other words, the one that I belong to. The one that owns me. It's like if I were to say, as, a, as, a, as a, maybe a, a football player or a baseball player, that's my coach. I'm not saying he's my coach, I own him and tell him what to do and he belongs to me to determine. No, it's saying I'm identifying with that coach, that coach of authority who watches over me, who tells me what to do. 
That is my shepherd. The sheep is saying, I don't tell the shepherd what to do. I don't, I don't own the shepherd and manipulate him to benefit what I want in life. He says, I belong to the shepherd. He's mine. And when you, when you keep this in, in mind, folks, when that enormous, wondrous, glorious God is our shepherd, that's saying something much different than I tell him what to do in life. It's saying all of who God is, I belong to him. He tells me. He protects me. He guides me. He leads me. The Lord is my shepherd. Think how big he is. The Lord is my shepherd. There's a couple just just brief things that I want to show you, and we're going to really get into what I shall not want means next Sunday. But first, getting a real sense, a real grasp for him being uh, our shepherd. It means I belong to him because he chose me. I belong to the shepherd. Why? Because he chose to create me. He chose to identify me. Turn in your Bibles, if you will. Stay in Psalms and go over to 139. Psalm 139. This might help somebody here this morning. I'm I'm really praying it does. When you look at yourself in view of, of God, who he is. Are you there with me, Psalm 139? Okay, look, Psalm 139. You know, this is the one that begins, O Lord, you have searched me and know me, and you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, right? You are well acquainted with me. You know everything about me. And then you skip down to verse 13. You have formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. You and I were created also by the same God that created all that. And, and it says, according to this Psalm 139, that we were, we were thought of and intentionally created in the mother's womb, in your mother's womb. And it says we, that we are according to the scriptures, fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I want you to think about that for a second and how awesome God is. That, that means if you came into this place this morning feeling down, if you came in with a low self-esteem, you think very little of yourself and you struggle with really, like, I don't, I don't really mean very much. You struggle with the value and, and significance in your life. And you, 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 would, you want to really sense that you are valuable, much more valuable than then the world shows you, then, then listen to this. You were created in your mother's womb by the thoughts of God and done so fearfully and wonderfully in his image. I mean, that right there should fix all of our identity crisis in this room. That resets us. That gives us a sense of who we really are. We're created by God, for God, in his image, fearfully, wonderfully, with what? With a capacity that when God wants to and chooses to shepherd one little itty-pee-wee sheep on the earth, it's you. We get the idea sometimes that God created everything, you know, in Genesis, not 
millions and billions of years ago, by the way, when he did create everything and breathe everything into existence. We get the idea that he had this perfect plan and he set it into motion, and then all of a sudden one day he was caught off garden, and somebody came and said, oh, there's a problem in creation, God. There is? I didn't know about that. What happened? Well, they sinned. They sinned? Oh, no. This is our idea sometimes. Now God's frustrated. Now God's confused. We better come up with a plan B because all of a sudden things are not going right. This is not what I created. This is not what I planned. Now we have to go fix things. I better send my son to go fix this mess. That's sometimes the way we feel creation was set out. No, 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 no. God created us with free choice. Knowing ahead of time our own nature would lead us astray. And that we would need redemption to be saved. So that he could save us. Why? Because the nature of God is to be a shepherd. He, that's, he, this whole creation, this whole thing is established by God so that he could have sheep to shepherd. Because it's his nature. It's what God desires to do. He created us fearfully, wonderfully, so that we could be led by him in intimacy, in relationship, following closely with him, knowing him, understanding him, and being provided for by him. That's who God is. That's God's plan. Why? Because he is a shepherd by nature. Now you see why when God created all the beings and then, you know, then the first shepherd came, Cain and Abel, and, and all of a sudden we had shepherd and sheep. I'm convinced that God created that relationship specifically to represent who he is and who we are. I think that's why sheep are created that way. Because God wants us to know. He wants us to see it in creation. Guys, that's why he created us. That's, that's why he chose to create you and I and chose us. I belong to him because he chose me. That's what it means to be a sheep and to have a shepherd. Um, secondly, I belong to him because he purchased me. He bought me. He bought us. And not only were we created by God with our own free will and made poor choices and sinned and fell away from God, but God, the very one that chose us and created us, also purchased us, redeemed us, bought us back so that we would not be separated from him through the death, burial, and resurrection of his own son, God himself. He paid the ultimate price, the only price that could do it. He bought us back. He redeemed us. That's why it's so important to understand who I am as a sheep. That's why he's my shepherd. He's not just my shepherd because he chose me, because I sinned after he chose me, but I'm also, he's also my shepherd because he bought me. He chose to give for me. There's a story that I, I read about. I, I was reading about shepherds and sheep, and one shepherd who uh, is also a Christian author was writing about the first time he, when he became a shepherd. He grew up raising sheep and his family wasn't able to give him the flocks for some reason or another so he had to work and be kind of you know shovel sheep do and all the other things to try to save up money and 
and side jobs and everything. And he saved up this big nest egg, this big savings account, so that one day he could buy his own flock and then become a shepherd. So he writes about the first time when he purchased a flock. And he saved up his money, and, and he went out there, and, and he bought his first flock of 30 sheep. And there they were in the pasture, uh, barricaded in by, by a fence. And he, he, he tells about sitting on the edge of the fence and looking over his 30 sheep for the first time. See, he, know, he knew the sheep before, but for the first time, they were now officially his sheep because he, he paid for them. He bought them. And he said an incredible feeling came over. He was overwhelmed by this sense of, now watch this. This is what he writes about. Love for those sheep. There, there, there was established, because he purchased them, because he gave for them, a more intimate relationship. They were now much more so his. He, he now cared that much more for them after purchasing them. There's an identity that's formed when sheep are now belonging to a certain shepherd. And the shepherd senses it too because he paid a great price for them and it cost him dearly. And I can't help but thinking, I can't help but thinking, when God sits on the picket fence of heaven and looks out into the pasture over our lives, the redeemed, those who are in Christ, I can't help but wondering if God looks over us and says, I love them. They're my sheep because I purchased them with my own blood. They belong to me. They're mine. Hey, that's who you are. That's what God thinks and sees when he looks at you. No matter what your age, no matter what your background, in Christ, covered in the blood, redeemed, purchased, bought back, Now you're one of his flock that he loves and cares for. There is nothing, there is nothing God would not do to protect you and to show his love for you. Now, we don't always understand that, right? Sometimes his protection and his love doesn't look familiar. We don't understand it. But establish this, see, because before you can understand what it means that he has a a rod and a staff, which we're going to talk about, before you can understand that, you first must understand the foundation of the relationship. And that's what we're looking at today. The foundation of the relationship is you belong to him because you've been purchased by him. And you're greatly loved by God. Greatly loved. Deeply loved. I mean, you are what God created the world for. To shepherd his sheep. He's not done with that work in us. Um, there's a... Uh, a procedure that shepherds of the Old Testament, the best I can tell, it carried over into the New Testament some. And in the Middle East today, you can still occasionally find this. It's a ritual that shepherd did to their sheep when they became the shepherd. So if, if they inherited them or purchased them or got new sheep or whatever it was, or new sheep were born, when that sheep became um, sort of owned by a certain shepherd, that shepherd would put his mark on each sheep. Maybe much like cattle branding today, and and some shepherds still do this. But what they would do is they would take the sheep to a wooden block set up on a stump, and they would put the sheep's ear against the wooden block, 
and take a very sharp flint knife and carve a notch out of the ear of the sheep. And, you know, one shepherd's notch might be in a different place or look differently than another shepherd's, and that was the way maybe that he could tell this sheep belongs to me and that one belongs to you. There's a branding effect, but there's much, much, much more than that. It didn't start off that way. It started off with putting a mark of the shepherd on the sheep that was part of a shared experience. See, the idea was the shepherd, I mean, you think about baby lamb, right? I mean, they're, they're really kind of cute, aren't they? I mean, this is a plastic one, so you might not think it's so cute, but the real ones really are cute. And if you, if you thought about taking this little baby lamb and putting his ear up against a block and taking a sharp knife, and, you know, it's probably going to scream. There's going to be... That's traumatic. I'm, I'm not sure I could do it. I, I mean, as soon as he started looking at me with those, with those little sheep puppy dog eyes, I might just... Can somebody else do this? I can't... I don't know. But it's the shared experience. The sheep would cry out with pain... The shepherd would continue in pain to do it because he knew that it had more meaning and purpose and it would bond them together and that's some experience that the shepherd would would carry and the sheep would carry saying, that's the guy that I belong to, so much so that he notched out part of my ear. I bear his mark and he bandaged it and cared for me afterwards. You see the, the, the part of the bonding that's formed when the sheep becomes part of one shepherd's flock. Interestingly enough, this ritual or this process came from an older tradition in Hebrew culture. Back when the Jews used to have slaves, they had bond servants. And when a slave that belonged to a certain particular family would by choice surrender the rest of his life to the allegiance of that family, something similar would occur. Let me show you what's really happening here. The slave might hope someday I can be a free person. I'm here because I have to be. I'm I'm a slave and there may be a contract, whatever it is. I have to fulfill my contract, my obligation. But someday I might be able to be free or might be able to go to another family that has more money and has more slaves and maybe I'll have a different job, right? There's always that thinking. But when a slave liked the family that he belonged to and he said, you know what? I don't want to be free. I don't want to go anywhere else. I like these people. They have become like family to me. There was a ritual that would occur where he would say, I give up my right to be free to go somewhere else, and I will be a bondservant to this family for the rest of my life. They would take this person, this slave, they would line them up against the doorpost, and they would take an awl, a metal spike, very sharp, and a hammer, and they would drive it through the earlobe, piercing his ear, to their home. And his piercing was, in a sense, the mark of that family that he belonged to for the rest of his life and was happy and willing to do so. Folks, when you are bought at a price by the good shepherd, he also placed his mark on you. We are sealed, Ephesians 1.13 says, we are sealed by the Spirit of God He's placed his own seal, his own signet ring mark, his own ownership identifying mark on who we are. We are also, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. We are also to bear the image of the cross. He died for us. 
Therefore, our lives are now to be lived for him. Hey, hello. That's a lot of theology right there. I hope you got it. He died for us, so therefore we choose to live the rest of our life for him. We bear the mark of the cross. In the same sense, the day you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you also give up your freedom and your right to have some other life outside of his flock, to be free of him one day, and you say, I will be part of the family of God forever. I give up my right to do anything else. My my life's not for me. It's not because I belong to him. And, And we bear that mark also. 1 Corinthians 7, 23 says, You have been bought with a price, therefore do not become a slave of men. That's what that means. Now, wrap it up. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you see all that is packed into that statement all that's represented, the the enormity of who God is and and all his vast glory and, I mean, just beyond understanding and and yet he chose me and he bought me and therefore I belong to him and I bear his mark because he chose to purchase me and I give up the rest of my life for him. And by the way, that's supposed to be a really good thing because becoming part of the flock of, of God beats anything else. Why? Because God is a very good shepherd. And he cares for his sheep. That's why it's such a tremendous statement for David to say, out of all the choices that I could use here, the the choices I could make, the wording I could use, the Lord, God, Jehovah, is my shepherd. I choose to be part of his flock and allow him to be the one that cares for me and directs me. The Lord is my shepherd. On your blue outline card there are a few questions and I just want to lead you in maybe some evaluation time of response there are a few questions there as we move into our response time I'm going to ask some of these questions and as I do I really just want you to answer them it's between you and God during a prayer time and a response time and then here's what I'm asking you to do church take these questions and take them home and as families as couples as students Whatever your context, take them home, put them on your refrigerator, put them on your desk, put them on your kitchen counter, somewhere throughout the week, go back through these questions over and over again. And can you say, can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? And glean all that that means. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, bow with me and pray, if you will. This is our response time. The message is over. It's time for us to turn to God and say, here's what I choose to do in response. Father, thank you for being a good shepherd. Thank you for choosing to create us. To show us that you care. To display your loving nature. Thank you for purchasing us and redeeming us, buying us back after sin. We bear your mark. And how do I answer this question before you today, Lord? Do I really belong to you? 
do I really belong to you? Do I really see it that way? Do I really recognize your right to my life? You are my shepherd. Am I living that way, Lord? As if there would be no other choice but for my shepherd to lead and guide and direct every single day, knowing far more than I ever could about my life. Do I respond to your authority and acknowledge your ownership in me? Have I this week? Have I responded to your authority? I've acknowledged that you own my life, that you purchased me. You're my Lord. Have I found, Lord, freedom and fulfillment in our relationship? Have I been freely your sheep just following you? Or have I been trying to lead you, Lord, and shepherd you? Teach me the freedom this week just simply abiding in the sheep and the shepherd? Do I sense purpose and commitment and contentment because you direct me? Am I content? Well, forgive me for being discontent, searching for something else. All the meaning and purpose I ever need is found being your sheep. to live that way. You're here this morning and as you're praying, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Truthfully, you've never personally accepted Jesus Christ. This idea that he purchased you and redeemed you from your sins and you could be forgiven because of the death, burial, and resurrection. If that's new to you, you choose to believe that this morning. You can be saved from your sin bought, purchased, back, redeemed into his family just by faith this morning. Would would you do that? If that's your heart, would you pray with me? Prayer goes something like this. Lord, I I realize that I I sin and I can't find my own way. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty, the price for my sins. You redeemed me. I accept your free gift of salvation and forgiveness because of that death, yours. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He 
restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thank you that we can call you our shepherd that that means that we are your sheep and we thank you for that God. Thank you for choosing us and caring for us. We just worship you this morning and respond to you giving you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen? Yes. Amen. All right. Guys that are going to help us, help us with the offering if you'll come forward at this time, let me call your attention to that response card. Matt mentioned it earlier. Uh, would you take that response card out? Make sure everybody has one. Here's, here's what we're going to do together, church. As we continue to worship, uh, in just a moment, these guys are going to uh, take up an offering and help us. And in the offering, we're going to give our response to God. H- here's what you can do. Everybody, please do this. Write on your card something that you want to give back to God. Something in your life, in your heart, obedience, praise, worship, thanksgiving, Where did God speak to your heart in the message this week? And and you're going to write down on the card and then put that in the offering as your offering to God, your response. Here's how I choose to respond. Then we're also going to put our tithes and other offerings the same way because God has been our shepherd and provided for us. We obediently and cheerfully and sacrificially give back a tithe and an offering to the Lord as an act of worship. It's our pleasure to do that. So would you take just a moment, go ahead and write on your cards and Gather your offerings together. In just a moment, we're going to collect this offering. Mike's going to lead us in prayer. Dear Father, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of uh, worshiping you today, Father, and letting us serve you. Thank you for being our shepherd, Father. Lord, all that you are, we are so small, and we recognize that what we're going to give back to you is just a a small portion of what you provided for us. And we love you for that, Father. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for being our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.